everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Uh, and um, uh, thank you all for joining me today. For those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast where you get to send me, the therapist, as you, the listener, get to send me the therapist, questions about OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, how to get better, what you can do, what exposures are, how to deal with this particular subtype, all those things. And you get to send me those questions and I will read them, consider them, and likely answer them on a future episode, as I'm going to do today. So if you would like to ask a question for a future episode, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can send me uh, or click on the submit a question link and I will read it do all the things I just previously said. Anyhow, so I'm experimenting with the video again. This is an exposure for me. This is wildly uncomfortable for me to do and to deal with because I'm trying to deal with just the audio. And now I've got to add my ridiculous face in on this. And I'm going to hope that it goes as well as it can. So here we are. So if you're watching this on YouTube, congratulations, you're seeing my ridiculous face. So there's that. If you're listening to me on uh, your device, your iPod, your people have iPads anymore, their phone, their computer, their whatever, you're driving, you're exercising. I don't know. Um, congratulations. I historically have looked better on the podcast than I do on YouTube. So there's that. So I hope everyone is doing well out there. Uh, thank you all for joining us last week. If you did at OCD SoCal, it was a, a really fun, uh, a really fun conference. Uh, a lot of great people, a lot of great talks, and uh, it was just kind of a nice warm up into conference season, I suppose. So we're going to be uh, buckling up to that. And uh, again, if you are going to be in Denver this summer for the IOCDF, the International OCD Foundations Conference, um, come find me, say hi, high five me, whatever it is that we're doing. I think we're wearing masks, but I, 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 I don't know what's happening out there i don't know what's happening here so we're, we're we're all just hoping for the best and trying to get through so um again everybody if, if you have a question for the podcast go over to fearcastpodcast.com submit a question you can also send me an audio question i will include those in future episodes as well and uh, you can either uh, record your question into your voice memo app onto your phone and send it over to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com or you can copy the or upload that Upload it rather to Google Drive. I don't know why I mess this up every single time. Upload it to Google Drive. Send me the link to it. I will download it. I'll upload it to the podcast and we will go from there. And again, that sends all those to the tippity top of the list. So today I'm going to be going over two questions and uh, hopefully we'll get through those relatively quickly. And um, again, ugh, this video thing is weird. So. Nathan Peterson, you're good at this. I don't know how you do it, but you're good at this. So here we go. Hmm. All right. So the first question comes from April. April says, how do you help clients deal with rumination and does medication lessen the severity of rumination? So April, fantastic question. Simple to the point. I like it. So um, so I'll into the second part first. Does medication lessen the severity of rumination? So it's going to depend. It's going to depend on you. So some people I've worked with have said that when they take medication, the ruminations and, and the and I wonder if you say, well, 
does it, does it lessen the severity of the rumination? Well, if we're being persnickety with the language, some people would say, you know, the, the rumination is entirely up to you. The rumination would be a thing that you are doing in response to the obsession or the intrusive thought. So, does this lessen the severity of rumination by that persnickety um, definition? Well, the question is, it's up to you. But I, I think what you're saying is, does it lessen the severity of the obsession or the intrusive thought or the discomfort associated with it? Um, so some people have said that medication does help tamp down the presence of intrusive thoughts, the frequency and the intensity of the feeling related to them. Um, uh, other other people, they, they don't comment on the severity of the of the prevalence of the obsession um, or the amount of obsessions, um, but they do talk about how when they are there, they come, they, they they are less intense. They feel less uncomfortable. They are easier to face or to shift away from or to deal with in in whatever in whatever way that you are going to hopefully reasonably do. So, medication can help certainly in, in that sense. So. Your other question, the first part of it, is how do you help clients deal with rumination? So, oh boy, um, oddly enough, this was a this was the topic of a talk that we gave at uh, this this past week's or I suppose two weeks ago, two weekends ago, two weekends ago, um, the OCD SoCal talk. So it 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 depends. There's going to be a lot of different ways to deal with this, and man, if you talk to a lot of different therapists, there are going to be a lot of different answers. But how do I help? Well, the first thing that I would want you to think about is, well, I, I'd want you to start to catch yourself when you're doing your ruminations. So knowing that you are engaging in rumination, I, I, I do agree. Rumination is the action that you do. It's the thing that you do in response to your obsessive thought. So my question to you would be is, what are you trying to do? What is the purpose of all that rumination? Are you trying to solve something? Are you trying to understand something? Are you trying to avoid something? Are you trying to undermine something? Are you trying to prove something, right? What is it that you're trying to do in regards to the rumination? Why do it at all? That would be one of those first questions to consider. Um, because the, 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 you are ultimately doing that for a reason. You're, try, you're doing it for a purpose. You're trying to do something with that thought. I don't know what that thing is that you're trying to do is, but the goal would be ultimately to be doing less um, and to be doing less by being more of your authentic self. So within OCD, people do things that they don't care about in order to hopefully feel better, but they do things they don't care about and sacrifice things they do care about. So what we're trying to do is to flip that. I want you to do things, do more things that you actually care about as opposed to doing things that you don't care about. In other words, playing the story out, um, trying to predict the future, trying to do a, a scenario twisting, changing a, changing like a, a couple of details in the past uh, and seeing then how you would have responded or how you feel about it today or how that change would have affected the future um, or uh, it, it, some other ruminations we can do is sometimes we're, we're, we're going over like a mantra in our heads. Sometimes we're counting. These are kind of more mental obsessions. So a lot of things that people will do so how do I help them deal with rumination? Number one, build your awareness that you're doing it too. Make a resolution that that, that type of thought process is going to be unhelpful. Call it out. Own it. It's an unhelpful process. We have this kind of justification in our head too sometimes. Or, you know, folks with OCD will have this justification. If, or I'm, I'm doing this so that, I'm doing this for this reason, and we, they, they, they hope that it's going to work. So what we want to try to do then is to acknowledge 
historically speaking, ruminations have been unhelpful. And for you, April, it's going to be unhelpful. So instead, one of the ways that um, one of the ways that I, I, I find best, one of the most effective ways, is once you catch yourself redirecting back to your life, redirecting back to the stuff that you actually do care about. What is it that you actually want to be accomplishing? Um, one way to do that is for when you catch yourself in that thought is you can do something called, um, oh boy, I'm going to blank on the name of it. Why do I do this to myself? Uh, non-engagement responses. I don't know why that took me so long. So non-engagement responses is, the, is one of the things that you can do. What that looks like is, and I know it sounds like a bit of a paradox, I suppose it is, but the, what it is, is you're trying to acknowledge the thought. So you do, you, you do acknowledge that it's there, but it's non-engagement. I know you're already engaging if acknowledging. I, I, I get all that. The point is you're not engaging in the rumination, right? There's only so much we can do with language. So you acknowledge the thought and then you, you put a period at the end of the sentence. You just simply acknowledge that it's there. So you can do a couple of different things with it. One, you can acknowledge what the feared outcome would be. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be terrible if I did kill my cousin? Like, yeah, it would be terrible, right? So that's one thing you can do. Just acknowledge the potential outcome. Wouldn't it be terrible if this happened? Oh my gosh, I would hate it if that were to happen. Yes, it would be terrible and you would hate it, period. But we don't need to do anything about it either. Wouldn't it be awkward if aliens came down and inhabited Earth? Yeah, but what am I going to gain from then engaging that thought? Unless I like it, but I'm willing to bet you don't like your compulsions. So to that, so to the aliens, yeah, it would be awkward, but I'm not going to think about it. Wouldn't it be terrible if I ran over a dog? Yes, it would. I think you, got to get, you guys get the idea. All right, so the other thing you can do is you can acknowledge the feeling. Oh, I feel so uncomfortable. Oh, my heart is pounding. Oh, the stomach drops is so uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, my body is so tense. Yes, all of that is also true. You can acknowledge all of that as a fact of this very moment, but not something you actually have to do anything about other than keep living your life. You've been you a long time. You've ridden this wave of anxiety a lot. Continuing to engage with the unhelpful behaviors ain't going to get you out of that hole any faster, right? I mentioned the hole. It's like, you know, digging yourself in the hole, right? You know what's going to get me out? Digging faster. No, it's not. Laying that shovel down at the ground and not engaging with it other than going, I'm in a hole and this sucks, right? Your brain is going to give you another shovel and saying, keep digging. What about this thought now? And maybe you go, oh, I should dig. That's what I should do. You're right. We just start digging. But you're over that, right? So you're going to drop that shovel. And it's going to give you another one. You can drop that shovel. And you keep dropping shovels. And you know what you do? You climb out of the hole on a pile of shovels. All right. Things got weird with that. Point is, you can acknowledge the feeling, right? Acknowledge what, you, what, you, uh, what the outcome potentially be. And acknowledge also a non-engagement response can be acknowledging what you want to do. Acknowledge the urge. Oh my gosh, I want to check. I want to wash. I want to ask. I want to read. I want to Google, right? I want to avoid. Oh, I want to pray. All those things are things, yes, you do want to do, but you can acknowledge that you want to do it while you also shift to do the things that you want to do. You shift to do the things that is more meaningful to you and more desired to you. So, 
what it's doing is, again, it's acknowledging the thought, acknowledging the experience of it, but simply, not simply, you, you acknowledge it and then you redirect back to your life, the stuff that you want to be doing. Having the conversation with your friend, being present while watching a movie with your spouse, hanging out with your kids, being in class and trying to learn, hanging out with your study group, right? Simply just trying to go to sleep. All of that, we're trying to help you be more present with yourself. So that's just, I suppose that's just one of the ways and, and uh, uh, further, further things you can do is just to build more mindfulness skills, right? Just accepting and acknowledging the thoughts are there. This idea of, of a house with open windows. It's that, you know, if, if you have a house and you have open windows, you know, it, the wind might blow in some dirt, some leaves, some birds, I don't know, stuff, right? But if we close all of our windows, um, it's going to trap all those things inside. So open all your windows. Let a thought come in because the more you let them in, the more that they can go out and you, you allow for other things you do want, right? Maybe it's dirt, leaves, and birds that you actually want, as opposed to the seagulls and, I don't know, weird birds that fly in, cranes and things, I don't know. Whatever birds flew through you, fly through your house, they come in, we eventually let them leave, right? Um, as a side note to the point about medication, or meditation rather, this idea of I'm going to meditate and I'm going to think about nothing, it's a misnomer. You're not going to think about nothing. You're going to think about stuff. The point about meditation is to be anchoring yourself in something. That's why they talk about, like, focus on your breath. Focus on the sound of this gong. Focus on, I don't know, whatever. But you're going to turn your attention towards that, and then they know you're going to kind of get distracted by something. And you go, oh, I'm doing that thing. That's right. Back to my anchor. Back to the gong or to the, my breath or to the sound of whatever, a yogi or Whatever you're focusing on. It can be a song. It can be the droning sound of your professor. It can be the droning sound of this guy. It can be the droning sound of your wife or your kids. I don't know. But it's redirect. And we redirect. And what about that thing over there? No, no. Mm -mm. Unhelpful. Redirect. But then there's that thing over there. But what if that? No, no, no. Unhelpful. And we just continue to bring back to the thing that we are focusing on. So, April, that's one of the things or a couple of things that you can do to help manage rumination. So, I hope that was helpful. And we're going to move on to the next question. It's a little bit longer, so I apologize. You're going to have to hear and see me read. So, this question comes from Anna. Anna says, I've been suffering with OCD, mostly rumination, over uh, over a huge number of topics for some years now. However, the subject matter returns often is HOCD. The question is, am I gay? These obsessions started about a year ago when I got into a relationship with someone I'd liked for a long time, and he and I have had a wonderful relationship. And he says, I or she says, I identify as a woman, and he is a man, uh, and so this is a straight relationship. She goes on to say, however, when the relationship started, a relationship feels strained, as all relationships do, and they say especially uh, when in quarantine together, so this was written a while ago, um, the HOCD thoughts pop back up. My questions involve me avoiding TV, books, or anything, uh, or anything like that with women in them that I consider attractive. And it's got to the point where I'm looking at men, uh, when I'm looking at men around me, in a panic when I don't, when I don't feel immediate attraction. Uh, I know this is HOCD. It's interesting that you say, I know this is HOCD. Okay, I know this is HOCD, and I know that I need to accept and move on. What I find hardest is communicating this with my partner, however, uh, or partner, however, and 
Um, I'm starting to feel isolated because of it. He is my best friend, but I don't know how to talk with him about it without upsetting him. I've mentioned it to him before, um, but how do I talk with him without sounding like I, like I might secretly be gay and want to break up with him? And she says, I don't, by the way. So my question is, how do I discuss HOCD with my partner without turning it into reassurance-seeking or upsetting him? So, this is a great question. So, thank you so much for that. Uh, Anna says, thank you again, Anna from the UK. Thank you, Anna from the UK. So, yeah, this is a great question. So, yes, I, I love that you said, I know this is HOCD. The, we've talked about this before. There's that insensitive OCD joke. What's the difference between someone with OCD and someone who's crazy? The person with OCD knows they're crazy. So, uh, I believe this is a, uh, um, um, a Jonathan Grayson joke or comment or thing. Anyways, so I, I know this is HOCD. Great. Yeah, the person with OCD knows they're crazy, meaning that they have this rational side of their brain and this very anxious, fearful side of their brain. The person is, quote, crazy, who has that break with reality. All they have is their crazy man thoughts or the crazy woman thoughts in this sense. It's the thought of you. It's the thought that is distracted. It is uh, uh, confused. It is anxious. It is doubtful. It is all those things, right? So you have this rational side. We want to be leaning on that rational side as much as we possibly can. And, and we're trusting that that's true. Now, uh, we're, we'll talk about that in future episodes. But um, so with that, so you, you're, you're going to trust as if that's true. But your question wasn't about that. It was, how do you discuss it with him? Well, Listen to this podcast with him. Read a book with him. Talk with him. Talk, bring him to your therapy sessions. All of those things can be great ways to start a conversation. Another thing you can do is um, send him articles on what HOCD is, what HOCD is, and compare that to what OCD is. Hopefully, he can understand what OCD actually is and can appreciate its nuances and can appreciate that, it, that it's not about the topic or the topic isn't then true. It's just a doubt about whether or not that is true, or doubt about that subject, but doubt and compulsions in the cycle, the whole thing. So it can be it can be tough. Hopefully he's someone who's proven himself trustworthy and open and loving and caring and empathetic with the stuff that you have already shared. I'm assuming he is since you're still with him and you say that you really like him. Hopefully he has all of those good qualities. So how do you discuss it with him without it turning into reassurance-seeking? Well, are, don't go into it trying to get reassurance. I know that sounds so dumb and so simple, but go into it as if you're, you're just trying to share parts of your life. Trying to share maybe some elements of, of what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, what the good things are in your life, what the hard things are in your life. To share basic, basically intimacy. You're building this intimacy of showing this very sensitive part about who you are. Kind of, um, we kind of have this like very sensitive part of us, and we take our like shell and we put it over that, and we protect ourselves from the world around us. And then with intimacy, we essentially take off that 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 protective shell and we have this very soft squishy part about us that's very delicate and we say you know here i'm going to give this soft squishy thing to this other person and hope they don't break it or squish it or, or destroy it or harm it we hope for the best but hopefully your boyfriend has proven himself in this and he's going to care for this so so 
be cautious or be aware of how you tend to get reassurances. Are you the sort of person that's going to ask for reassurance? Are you the sort of person that tends to ask the same question in a backwards way? You know you. Go into it knowing what you're about and do everything you can to resist them as best you can. The more that he's aware of what HOCD is, and the more you can let him in on the process about how your questions and reassurances kick in, the more he can start to catch on and he can call you out for your nonsense or call you out for your reassurances, I suppose. So the last part, how do you have this discussion without upsetting him? That's out of your control. His feelings and his reaction to it is entirely out of your control. He's going to take it however he will. And it might go well, it, it might not go well, though. We don't know. The best you can do is hope for the best. And the best you can do is to, is to carry it out or to, and to bring this out, talk about it as, as if it's just part of you, part of who you are. Some of the struggles that you have, everyone has struggles. This is just one of yours, and that's okay. It doesn't make you more broken than anybody else. It just means that this is the thing for you. It's hard, and it's scary. It sounds scary, right? But again, it sounds scary because you're on your end of it, because you're hearing your anxieties and you're buying into the propaganda machine that is OCD. Instead, when we back away from it and we see it as just anxiety and it could be, it's, it's OCD about this question that you've already said, I know this is HOCD. Great. So let's treat it like it's HOCD, meaning that it's not real. It's not true. The content of it is not true about you, but we have to trust that and trust that what you have said is true. And the more that you act in trust, the more you act as if it's HOCD and not whatever it is that you're afraid of, the content of it, the more you start to buy into it and it starts to become more real to you. So, and your amygdala starts to be tamped down a little bit. So, and I hope all of that was helpful. Again, I, I think it might be really helpful just to ha be, be open with him, take him to a therapy session. And I mean, I'm serious. Listen to this podcast with him or email it to him. Say, hey, I want you to listen to this and then I want to chat about it. And then chat about it later that day. What questions do you have? What was weird about it? What was interesting about it? What similarities did you see to me? Or, you know, it might be, you know, for someone out there who hasn't ever talked to their boyfriend, or their, your girlfriend, or their partner about this, you're, you might be the first time of like, hey, I want you to listen to this. And they're going to go, what am I listening to? And you're like, surprise, right? It might just be you sharing this and saying, you know, I didn't know how to say it, but, you know, I'm going to have you listen to this ridiculous podcaster and... And, and, and hope it resonates. So let's talk about that. So you give them the opportunity to then ask questions or to be caring and loving and empathetic and all of that. So, uh, Anna, I, I hope that was helpful. Um, I appreciate your question. I know it was a while since you sent this question in. So if you do get this um, and you'd like to give us a, a, some feedback about what happened, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and sh shoot me a message over there. And that would be fantastic. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this would love to hear it. So anyhow, everybody, thank you so much for watching. If you're seeing this on YouTube, thank you so much for listening. I will at some point become more of a professional about this and make it sound and look and feel a little bit better so if anybody I'm getting open myself up to crazy feedback I don't know why I'm doing this myself if you are watching this on YouTube 
write down in the comment section below um, how to go, what I can do better, what I could, uh, if I suck, tell me I suck. Fine with that. Um, but if it was fine, things that worked well, things that could be better, let me know. Anyways, everybody, um, uh, if if you have any feedback to this, or if you would like to any, if you would like to offer any other feedback to April or Anna about what they um, are, are going through, you can submit questions below in the um, in the comment section. If you're on YouTube, or go over to fearcastpodcast.com and message me over there. You can also go over to Instagram and find me over there. You can send me a message, or you can comment directly on the episode page here. Um, but again, four questions. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com. So, everybody. Please remember that FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about therapy and would like to get uh, a little bit more help in your progress and process, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the Find Help link, and you can uh, see some resources and some, uh, some stuff there for you. So, Anyways, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.